So we're going to start there in Matthew chapter 16. This is a familiar passage to a lot of us. And we'll go from there. Matthew 16, verse 15. Now this is a conversation that Jesus was having with Peter. that We talked about a while back. And this is what he says. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Next verse. Verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. All right, you guys going to have to get a little bit more Pentecostal with me here. Everybody say, my church. Now say it like you got a little attitude with it. My church. Thank you. All right. And so he says, I will call you Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Isn't that a good verse? Jesus said, I will build my church. And notice, all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Other translations say the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Builders and Boulders. Say that three times fast. Builders and Boulders. So we're talking today primarily about building God's house. We've been talking on Sunday mornings about being planted in the house of the Lord, which is the church. It's the church of Jesus Christ being planted in the house of the Lord. And when we're planted, we will flourish. We will prosper. Our lives will have fruit in it. We will be stable when we are planted in the house of the Lord, which is the church. And so today I want to talk to you about builders and boulders and talking about the importance of building God's house. Why is it important for us today to build God's house? Well, first of all, let me uh, talk a few things about the church, why it's important. Jesus decided that he would have a church. He would have a place where God's people would come together, and it would be his body on the earth. It would be the body of Christ. And it was God's idea, not our idea, that Jesus would come and do this. This was Jesus' idea, and he calls it his church. The church is important. I know we live in a day in a culture where uh, a lot of people say you don't need to go to church, you don't need a pastor, you don't need to be involved in community. But there's never been a bigger lie than that. Because my Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially the closer we get to Jesus coming back. So we shouldn't be meeting less. We should be meeting more the closer it gets to Jesus coming back. And how many know every day is getting closer to Jesus coming back? And so when it talks about meeting together, it's not just talking about this What is what happens on a Sunday morning. That's part of it. It's talking about life groups. It's talking about doing life with other people. It's talking about showing up at a fellowship on a Saturday afternoon to hang out with your church family. That is not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together because you need it. When the world gets darker, the church gets brighter. And I know about you, you want to be closer to the light. 
And so when we assemble together like that, that's what happens. You get all that junk washed off of you that's been going on all week. You get some light on you. You get some God on you. And that's what happens when you get into community. I'm preaching better than you're responding. Don't get me going this morning. You know, there's certain subjects that people talk about that get them excited, like Brother Hagen talking about faith, or Dr. Summerall talking about deliverance, or when Dad talks about angels, he just starts glowing. When I talk about the local church, that's what it does for me. And you wonder why I get a little bit excited or like, oh, man, he turned into a prophet when he started talking about, no, I'm still a pastor, but I just get a little excited. Because I've seen so many people miss out on the benefits of the local church. I've seen so many people ruin their life on being offended and leaving a local church. I've seen so many people do it wrong. And it's so simple. It's so easy. It's hard to miss. But the enemy's like that, isn't he? He just, it's the simple basic stuff and he gets people off track and they don't even realize. God put this in place. The church is so important. And now when I say church, I'm not just talking about this church talking about the church. But if you're a part of the church, you're a part of a local church. Come on, somebody. They go hand in hand together. So when I say this, the church, I'm not just talking about this place. But every person who's a part needs a local church, a local assembly where they're together, where they're meeting, where they're listening to teaching, where they're praying together, where they're encouraging each other, where they're worshiping together, where they're doing life together. Every person needs that. And it was God's idea, not a man-made idea. This is not organized religion, as some people call it. It is a God-given thing, the church. And Jesus calls it his church. Now, can we put Matthew 16 and verse 18 up there uh, one more time? And I want to talk about this verse. Matthew 16 and verse 18. Notice he says, Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I will build my church. Now, notice this word church. Now, i got to teach before I preach. You ready for this? This word church in the Greek is the word ekklesia. Everybody say it. Ekklesia. Okay, you're struggling. Got that Midwest accent going on. The word is ekklesia. Very good. Anthony, you did the best pronunciation of that I've ever heard in my entire life. Ekklesia is the word. It's a Greek word, and this is what it means, this word church. Notice it doesn't mean you pastoring yourself at Starbucks. It's not in the Greek. It's not you listening to TV preachers. It means a gathering of called out ones assembled together. This word church in the Greek language, ekklesia, that he just talked about, I will build my church, is a gathering. What is this? A gathering. You can't gather when you're by yourself. Of called out ones. Notice that's plural. Ones. Not yourself. Assembled together. The church is the gathering of called out or anointed ones assembled together. And that's what Jesus says he's building. Jesus is only building one thing on the earth and that's his church. And notice what his church is. It is an assembly together, a gathering together of the called out anointed ones when they get together. That's the church. 
And that's what God is building on the earth. And that is what's going to change the world, is his church. Notice the church is not the plan B of God. It is the only plan of God. Are you here today? The church is not an afterthought. The church is the hope of the world. The church, like it says in the book of Matthew, is a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. That when people look at the church, they are attracted to it, not turned off by it. When people look for help, they see a city set on a hill that I can look to. They see, it's just like, you know, when people are out at sea and there's, there's stuff going on, they put lighthouses out. Now, why do they put the lighthouse out? Because they need to know where the shore is, where safety is, where protection is, where there's hope, where there's healing. So they put a lighthouse on a hill so people can come to it from far and wide. And that's what the church is. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We are called to be light in this world. We are called to be salt in this world. And that's what the church is. And if that's not what the church is doing, then we're not a church. We're a social club. Because the church is the gathering of called out ones assembled together. And Jesus said he is building his church. Notice, my church. You don't see anything else in the Bible that Jesus says that about. Nothing. Only thing he says is mine is the church. The church is what is in his possession. Now here's something interesting to think about. 110 times in the New Testament, the word church is used. But 90 of those references are referring to a local church. You can't separate the two. All of the letters that we read in the New Testament in your Bible were written to local churches. Implying that everyone would have one. <laughs> Every individual that a letter is written to in the Bible or a letter that's written by someone, whether that is a letter to Timothy or Titus or the book of James, the book of Peter, the book of Jude, all of those men were leaders in the local church. They weren't lone rangers. They weren't just guys doing their own ministry, doing their own thing. They were all leaders in the local church or the early church. So you cannot separate being a part of the church to being a part of a local church. It's kind of a no-brainer in the New Testament that you're going to be a part. Every letter, letter is written to a local church and every leader mentioned is a leader in the local church. So it's so important that we need the local church. It's easy to say I'm a part of the church. Like dad has uh, said many times when somebody says, oh, I go to church. Yeah, what church? Um, now, honey, what's the name of that church again we go to? Oh, who's the pastor? Um, I just can't remember his name. No, you don't have a church. You don't have a church. We need a local assembly together. We need a local church. And that's not just what I think. That's what the Bible says. 
Notice 90 out of 110 times, it's talking specifically about the local church. But Jesus said, it is my church. He takes ownership of it. It was the gift given to the Son. Jesus uses this example, and it says that the church is the bride of Christ. Meaning Jesus and his church are one. In Ephesians 5, you can just write this down. In Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus loves the church and he gave himself for the church. So Jesus and his church are one. So when we criticize churches, we are criticizing him. Let me give you an example of this. There's a guy in the Bible named Saul who turned into Paul. And he was persecuting the church. He was helping these other religious people literally kill early believers because they were believers in Jesus. And Saul was persecuting the church. I'm not talking about talking on Facebook about somebody. I'm talking about killing people because they went to church. That's how hardcore he was about destroying the church because he was a Jewish man at that time and he didn't believe that the church and Jesus was the way until Jesus got a hold of his life so he thought that the church was wrong and he was persecuting the church and one day he was riding on his donkey anybody remember this story he's riding on his donkey to go persecute some other believers and there's a light from heaven and he's knocked off his donkey and he can't see. And when he can't see, he, he's saying, you know, what's going on? What's happening? And he hears this voice from heaven, and it's Jesus. And it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Saul didn't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah at that time. He didn't believe that Jesus was God and Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul must have been thinking, I have never done anything to a man named Jesus. I've never persecuted him. I've never hit him. I've never hurt him. But that's the words that he heard from Jesus. And Jesus said, why do you persecute me, Saul? Now, what was happening there? Because Jesus and his church are one. So if you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting Jesus. If you're hurting the church, you're hurting Jesus. Because Jesus and his church are one. And Jesus took it so serious because it's my church. It's the bride of Christ. The church that he loved himself and gave himself for. He said, why do you persecute me? He takes it personal when we talk bad about church. And once again, I'm not just talking this church. I'm talking any church. He takes it personal when we talk about the church, when we hurt the church, because it's his church. Because Jesus and his church are one. Here's something else to think about. When we say we love Jesus and we don't love the church, we're lying. Because you can't separate the two. If Jesus loved and gave himself for the church and he lives on the inside of you, then you will love and give yourself for the church. 
if he's living on the inside of you. Because I don't know if you know this, when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes on the inside of you and he changes you from the inside out. And he gives you new desires and new feelings and, and new things that are going on on the inside of you that weren't there before. And when Jesus gets on the inside of you, he puts a love and a passion for his house. Because that same love and giving that he has for his church gets on the inside of you. Now, if he's really in there, and you can't help but be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about if he's living on the inside of you. It's not like, eh, whatever. Ask yourself, is he really in there? Because if he's in there, you're going to love the church. You're going to give to the church. You're going to give everything you have. Like it says in the book of John, it talked about Jesus. It said, passion for your house has consumed me. Come on, you guys need to respond a little bit better today. Passion for your house has consumed me. Can we say that about you or do you say, I'm busy? I got to work. I got school. I got a lot of things going on. Is it your last thought or is it your first priority? For most people, church is in last place in their life, and that's why their life is the way it is. Did I just say that on a Sunday morning? He said, seek me first. He said, put me first. He said, love and give yourself for the things that are important, not the things that won't last into next year. Things that have eternal value that are going to see you in eternity. Your job it won't see you in eternity. Your school will not see you in eternity. Your hobbies will not be in eternity with you. Only what's done for Christ and His church will last. I need an organ when I'm preaching like this. I'm not mad. I'm excited. I'm trying to stir you up this morning. And notice everything I'm saying is from your Bible. I've quoted about 15 verses so far. From your Bible. This is not something I just made up because I'm the pastor and I'm trying to trick you into responding and being a part of this church. This is what the Bible says. Jesus loves the church. He gave himself for the church. It's his church. We need to take that kind of ownership, that kind of love for his house. That's the only thing he's building is his church. Jesus said when he was younger, there's another story about Jesus. He, was, um, <clears throat> he got lost from his parents. He was 12 years old. There's one time I got lost from my parents. Brown County. Ever been to Brown County before? I was a lot younger than this. I got lost in a toy store in Brown County one time. And uh, everyone was losing it. Jessica, Mom, Mimi, everybody. They finally found me. And I don't think they greeted me the way that Jesus' mother <laughs> greeted him. They just acted like it was okay. Jesus, you've been gone for three days. Mary's like, oh, it's okay. And I'm like, what kind of mom is this? I guess because he was the son of God, he got a break. But Jesus, 
was lost in the temple for three days. And his parents were going home and they're like, oh, we forgot Jesus. <laughs> like, you haven't seen him for three days and nobody asked a question, like, where's Jesus at? Three days. And where did they find him? They found him in God's house, in the temple. And it says at 12 years old, he was talking theology with the Pharisees and leaders of that day. Some of the smartest, most intellectual people of that day who knew the scriptures. And he was on their level at 12 years old explaining stuff to them. But he was in God's house. But this is what he says. Now, don't try this on your parents. Or anyone you respect. But Jesus, when, when they finally found him, Mary and Joseph found him and they said, what's the matter? Jesus, you've been gone for three days. We've been looking for you everywhere. And he said, Mom, I must be about my father's business. Are you about your father's business? Is that, that's the question I want to ask you. Are you about your business? Or even worse, are you about other people's business? Most people are in the last category. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. I must be about what my father is doing. I must be about my father's will. And if he's living on the inside of you, we must be about the same things. The father's business. What's his business? The church. The church is his business. Seeing this whole world saved is his business. Seeing people healed is his business. Seeing people delivered is his business. Doing what we're called to do is his business. Not just sitting in a church on a Sunday morning and living the same way outside the church the rest of the week. That's not his business. Doing the mission of God is the business of God. And what's the mission? To seek and save that which was lost. But you notice they won't come in if there's not a church that's attractive enough for them to want what you have. Now when I say that, I'm not talking about the outside building and I'm not even talking about the way you look. To seek and to save that which is lost. That's God's business. Let's be about the Father's business. So we talked about Jesus and his love for the church. Jesus' love for the church goes to um, several things, but one of the things is we mentioned the church is his bride. The church is also his body. But more specifically, I want to talk about kind of transition for the rest of this message to the church is the building of God. Now let's look over again to Matthew 16 first. And we'll start there again. So notice the church is the bride of Christ. But the church is also the body of Christ. But it is also the building that God is building on the earth. Matthew 16. And let's jump down to verse 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because 
My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So there's something so significant in this passage. And we're going to get into this today. The church being the building of God. So Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, Who do people say I am? He said, some said Elijah, some say Jeremiah. But Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Can I preach to you for a second? It's not important what other people say he is. Who do you say he is? Because that's what he'll be to you. A lot of church people just say, you're a savior. And that's all he is to them. But around at Church on the Rock, we believe in the full gospel. And we believe, I don't just call you Savior, Jesus. You're my healer. You're my provider. You're my deliverer. You're my peace. You're my joy. You're my baptizer in the Holy Ghost. You are all those things to me. So it's not just what other people say he is. Who do you say he is? Because that's what he'll be to you. Sorry, that wasn't even on my notes. But it's true. Who do you say he is? And notice, let's get that scripture right back up. There we go. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Peter realized, or Jesus realized about Peter, Peter, you blow it all the time. There is no way you got that by yourself. (laughs) And he said, I realize my Father in heaven revealed that to you because you would not know that because you always have the wrong answers usually. And notice what he says. Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now we got to get into the scripture because you don't fully understand what he's saying here just in the English language. That's why we need to look in the Greek. And there is several words given for this word rock in the Greek. Now there's, for all the Christian metal fans in here, one of them is Petra, which means rock. All right. Is there any old school Christian metal fans in here? Come on. I was like, Petra, I've never heard of that before. I told you I'm an old church soul. Get it? Petra means rock. It really does. So there's this word Petra, which means rock, which means a big, large, boulder, or foundation stone. But then there's another word used in the Greek called Petros, which means a pebble or a small stone. So in this passage here in Matthew 16 and verse 18, he says, Now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will conquer it. So a lot of people have taken the scripture out of context and you can go one extreme or the other. So is the church built on Peter or is the church built on Jesus? Both. Because this word, now I say that you are Peter, 
This word Peter is the word for Petros, which means a small rock or a small stone. And then it says, and upon this rock is the word Petra, which means a foundation or a cornerstone. A boulder, a large stone. And it says, upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So is, is the church built on Peter, or is the church built on Jesus? Both. Because we are the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. Is it all God? No. Is it all us? No. We are co-workers, co-laborers together. And for us to build up this house, which is the church, we need the foundation stone. We need the cornerstone. We need the boulder stone, which is Jesus. But we are all in here living stones. We are small stones building up this house, which is the church. So is it on Peter or is it on Jesus? Both. And we're building it together with him. We're building this church with him. He's the foundation, but we are the beams and the wood and the trim and the lights and the stone and the brick that builds up the rest of this house, which is known as the church. And we can't do Jesus' part but he can't do our part. So it's both. Peter, he's a rock, but he's a small rock in this thing. And how many know all of us in here? No offense, but we're all small rocks compared to Jesus, the foundation stone. But how many know if two point something billion Christians on the planet come together? That's a lot of small stones. You can build something pretty big with two billion stones. And that's what he's saying. Jesus is that foundation, that cornerstone, that boulder. But we are all a part of this too. Let me give you another verse to confirm what I'm saying here. Let's turn over to Ephesians. The book of Ephesians 2. And verse 19. I'm sorry, I get, I get excited. You can't fault me for it though. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Notice Ephesians 2.20 says, Together. Everybody say together. 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 Notice that together, assembled together. We are his house. Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself we are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple or church for the Lord through him you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit come on isn't that a good verse let me give you another verse 1 Peter 2 and verse 4 we're still talking about boulders and builders. 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. I think this is interesting. This is the same Peter that Jesus said, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And this is the Peter when he's an old man talking to other believers, 
How many know he remembers Jesus saying, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church? I'm not saying he probably told people about that, but knowing Peter, he probably told everybody about that. Y'all remember when Jesus said, upon this rock? Y'all remember that, rest of the disciples? Upon this rock I will build my church. That's the same Peter. But he's an older man now. He's talking to a group of churches. 1 Peter 2, 4. Notice, you are coming to Christ, the living cornerstone of God's people. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Now, what does it say? And you are living stones. Same word. Small stones. You are living stones. All of you in here are living stones that God is building. I'm feeling this more than you're feeling this right now. Into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Let's jump down to verse 6. As the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will not be disgraced. Let's leave this verse. And you are living stones that God is using to build. Are you picking this up today? He says that we come to Jesus who is the living cornerstone, the living foundation stone, the living boulder stone. But you also are living stones that are building this spiritual temple. Y'all know that Jesus was a carpenter? What does that imply? He knows how to build stuff. And Jesus was not only a natural carpenter, but he's a spiritual carpenter. He knows how to build things. And he's building his church through us. And he knows where we all belong. He knows where we all fit. He knows where we all need to be because he is the master builder. Not only is Jesus the foundation cornerstone, but he is the master architect and builder that's putting everybody in the right place. And he says, okay, this is the cornerstone. This is the foundation. That can't be changed. That's Jesus. But he sees Mr. Tim Tillett and he says, you're a brick. But since you're a brick, you don't know where you belong. I'm the architect. And I'm going to put you at church on the rock because that's where you fit. And Amzi Bach, you're a beam of wood. You're a two by four. And I know where you belong, so I'm going to put you at church on the rock right here, right now, because this is where you fit. And Brother Les, you're a lighting fixture. Because you shine light to all the church on the rock. And I'm going to put you right here because I'm the architect and I'm the master builder and I know where you belong. How many know building materials don't talk to, back to the construction people? The piece of wood doesn't say, okay, architect, I don't really feel comfortable here. I would really appreciate it if you put me in a different place. They don't talk back. They just go where the architect tells them to go. They go where the master builder puts them because he knows better than they know. 
And for all of us in here, he knows better than we know. And he knows where you belong. So it says we come to Jesus who is the cornerstone, foundation stone. He's the boulder. But we're a part of this building too. We're living stones. We're living bricks. We're living pieces of marble and wood and clay. All of that. We are living building materials for the church. And Jesus is a master architect and builder. And he says, I know where you belong. I know where to put you. You are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. Not just a natural building. This thing's spiritual. If we left tomorrow, this building, it would no longer be a church because we're the church. Because this is not just natural, it's spiritual. And Jesus isn't just building natural buildings. We need them. But he's building a spiritual church, a spiritual temple, a spiritual place for God to dwell. A place that the world can come in and find home. That's what he's doing. He's finding and building a place that people will come to. Are you hearing me today? Jesus puts us where we belong. Because he knows where we belong. Now, why is he building this? He's building this so the world will take notice. Have any of you ever been around a building or a structure that you just stop and say, oh, wow. Nobody? All right. Nope. Mm -mm. Never seen anything like that. All right. Thanks, guys, for playing along with me. Have you, let's try this one more time. Have you ever seen a building, it could have been a church, it could have just been a, a building like downtown somewhere, and just the architecture was amazing, the structure, the colors, everything about it was amazing. Thank you. What did it make you do? It made you stop, it made you stare, it made you want to go check out the building, go inside, look at it. You were impressed. That's what Jesus is trying to build on the earth. Not a physical building, but a spiritual home, the church, that people will come from afar and say, I want to be a part of that. That looks beautiful. I want what they have. There's something about that that's drawing me to it. But notice if all the beams and stones and everything else are not in place, it's not attractive, is it? Is a pile of construction material on the ground attractive? Brother Daryl, is it attractive? No. And he builds homes for a living. Just all the materials laying out in the open field is not impressive. When does it get beautiful? When it all comes together. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> When it all comes together, when everything's in its right place, and trust me, the people buying the homes will make sure it's in the right place. When the wood is where it needs to be, where the floors are the color they need to be, when the lights are the way they need to be, that's when it's beautiful. That's when it's attractive. That's when you want to buy the house. 
You want to go see what's going on? Because you're like, man, that's beautiful. That's what his church should be. Are you receiving this today? (laughs) That's what his church should be. It should be attractive. It should be drawing people to us. But it only happens, notice, when we're together. When we're all in the right place, when we're all where he's put us, it's a beautiful structure, which is the church. His church. He's the cornerstone, but we are living stones, a part of what he's building. Man, I'm feeling this. I don't know about you. That's when it's beautiful. We make a place, not just for us, but for other people. We don't exist as a church for us four and no more. And then when a new person comes to church, you're just like, why are you here? Uh, I'm trying to get help. That's why I came. (laughs) Oh, we wouldn't want that here. No, you guys don't say that because you're not that rude, but you're thinking it. Or you just imply that by not talking to them. Now, you didn't need to ooh on that. I was just (laughs) telling the truth. (laughs) Why do we build it? We build it so people can come home. We build it so people can see it from a far away and say, I want to be a part of that. I want to be, that building is so beautiful, not just physically, but spiritually. Those people, that's so beautiful. It's so impressive. I want to be a part of it. And they see it and they can come home. That's why we're building it. We're not building it for us. We're building it for all the people in New Albany. We're building it for all the people in Floyd County and Clark County and Harrison County and Louisville Metro area. I don't know, last time you checked, there's a prophecy about our church that says we're a region-changing church. Now, we're not even changing Grand Line Road right now, but that doesn't mean we're not a region-changing church. We're just not there yet. And you can say, well, how can that be? We got like 200 people here. And there's hundreds of thousands of people in this area that need Jesus. And you're called to be a region-changing church. What's the answer? Get together, get in your place. And when we do that, that's when the world takes notice. That's why so many churches are ineffective and no one cares. No one cares. Because the church... The people are not in their place. They're not all in. They're not doing it together. They're not listening to the architect. And they're a brick and they're trying to be a light. It's interesting. Don't you remember another portion of scriptures that talks about we're the body of Christ? He said, if you're the eye, don't try to be the hand. If you're the hand, don't try to be the ear. Go to where you belong and where God has made you to be. In your place. When all of the stones are together, they're stronger. Can I get an amen? You know, when a house is built and all the beams are in the right place and all the foundation is in the right place, it's strong. If all the materials are just laying on the ground, 
they can blow away real easily. They can be destroyed real easily. But notice when they come together, they're stronger together than they are apart. Are you guys getting some today? I know. I'm wild. Receive it as your pastor. You guys receiving it? I'm just excited about it. I can't help it. It's in me. When we come together, we're stronger. So I'm going to give you three practical ways, and I've been mentioning these a lot lately, but it's true. Three practical ways how we build God's house. Let me say this first. This is not on the list of three, but this is kind of the first step. Find the church that you belong. I've been talking about that for a month. But we've said, you're the seed, God's the farmer, and he knows where to plant you, where you'll be fruitful. And the side note of that is, it's not every church. It's not. That doesn't mean other churches are bad, just means they're not for you. Are you hearing me? Just like the people that are going there don't need to come here because God didn't call them to be here. So it goes both ways. Are you hearing me? There is a place. I'm not saying it's church on the rock, but there is a place that God needs you to be. That's where he wants you to be planted. Or in the example today, that's where you belong in the structure. If you're a brick, God says you need to go right here. Piece of wood, right here. But once again, God's the master builder. He knows where you belong. He's the master architect. So before we talk about anything else, find that place. But when you get there, how do you help that place be built into this spiritual temple he's talking about? The house of God, the church. These are three super simple ways, but it's all throughout the New Testament. You see these three things coming up. That people did to build the church. Let me say this before I mention this. The best use of one's life. Is to spend it for something that will outlast him. That's the best use of your life. Brian Houston said. Who's pastor of Hillsong. He said that great churches. Are not built on the gifts and talents of a few but the sacrifices of many this doesn't become a great church just by relying on a few staff members like Pastor Jordan's energetic he can do it I can do what I'm called to do but that's not going to make this a great church by the sacrifices of many so first of all you're going to need to pray Jesus called his house a house of prayer. Or if you're in the country, a house of prayer. Real church. It's a real church in South Indiana. House of prayer. You see in the book of Acts, the early church prayed together all the time. And that's why, hint, hint, the early church was so effective. You see the church growing. You see signs and wonders and miracles. But what did they do all during the book of Acts? They prayed. It didn't just happen just because they showed up. 
they prayed together. It says in Acts 2 they prayed, in Acts 4 they prayed. It said they prayed so much the place was shaken. That's some prayer going forth. And Jesus said his house, what's his house? The church would be a house of prayer. So if you're going to build the church, build God's house, you're going to need to pray. Pray for your church. Pray for people to come to your church. Pray that the people that minister at your church will be anointed to do so. Pray for your church. Pray for your leaders. Pray for other members in the church that God lays on your heart. If you want to build God's house, you're going to need to pray for the church. A praying church is a powerful church. Number two, you're going to give. You're going to be generous with your money. I'll tell you why. What your treasure is, your heart is also. <laughs> well, that says it, doesn't it? <laughs> Jesus just laid it out there. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. So if you look at your bank account and you see Bass Pro Shop everywhere, where your treasure is, your heart is also. If you look at your bank account and you just see Dillard's, where your treasure is, and now I'm making a joke here, your heart is also. But it's true. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. And so if you love your church and you want to build God's house, you're going to need to give to it. Your money. Not because I said so, because the Bible says so. And there's so many verses. You guys have been well taught about giving here. You're already generous, but I'm just reminding you that you're going to give to your church to help them do what they're called to do. Now, once again, this is not to give me a raise. This is to do what we're called to do as a church. This is so we can send Pastor Jordan Smucker almost $3,000 for Ethos Church. This is so back in November and December, we could bless families in our church with extra money for Christmas. This is so we could send Generation Church $5,000 in November to help them do what they're called to do. It's not just about us. But we're going to give because where our treasure is, our heart is also. And we honor God with our money. It's an amazing thing. God tells us to give and then he gives back to us more than we have before. How does that even make sense? Supernatural. We give. And in reality, people don't like to hear this, but when we don't give, we would have to shut the church down. People say, well, I love Church on the Rock. When's the last time you gave something? Because there ain't going to be no Church on the Rock unless somebody gives. We're going to be singing Kumbaya in the field out there getting ticks all over us. But notice when you're all in, you're not worried about is everybody else giving. You're saying, it's my church. I'm going to give to it even if nobody else gives to it. So we're going to give if you're going to build God's house. But lastly, you're going to serve. No one's above it. Jesus came and he said that I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. He showed us what true leaders do, they serve people. No one is above, above serving because Jesus, who is God, wasn't above it. 
Not only did he serve with his actions, he served ultimately by going to the cross and humbling himself to that level for us. So if we're going to build God's house, we're going to serve. No one's above, ser- above serving. In Acts 6, I know I'm doing some teaching, but it's okay. In Acts 6, the church was growing and needed some help. And they said that we need people to serve for the ministry if the church is going to go to where it needs to go. So that's really in Acts 6 where the ministry of helps came in to do what we're called to do. So you're going to serve. If we're going to build God's house, we're going to pray, we're going to give, and we're going to serve. No one's above any of those things. We're all in this together. God requires me to do that, just like he requires you to do that. I don't see it as a duty. I like doing it. What a novel idea. I like being in church. You should too. I like giving. I like serving. Once again, if he's on the inside of you, you should want to. There should be a desire. So if we're going to practically build God's house, we need all in. Giving, serving, praying for God's house. That's how the church gets built. As we close here, I encourage you, take ownership of your church. Don't be a spectator, be a participator. It's funny, it's always the people that are not playing in the game that always have the comments to make. Don't you think that's funny? They're the experts, right? The people in the stands are the experts, not the actual NBA players that are playing the basketball game. Isn't that like that in the church world? The people that are not doing anything always have comments to make. Don't be a spectator, be a participator. That's when it's fun. Get in the game and do something. Get in the game and serve. Get in the game and pray. Get in the game and give and be involved. That's where the joy is. That's where the fruit is. That's where the fun is because you're actually a part of what God is doing. And trust me, if you're not doing that right now, no wonder your spiritual life is boring because you're not being a part of what God is building. So i got to encourage you, take ownership of this. And you need to all treat it like it's my church. Don't ever say, this is the Jacob's church. Don't say that. Or this is the staff's church. Or this is you know, certain people at our church. That's their church. No, it's your church. Are you hearing me? Take ownership. Because when you take ownership, you treat it differently. When you own it, you pick up the trash when you see it on the floor. When you own it, you come early and stay late. When you own it, you give when the church needs money. When you own it, you serve when no one else is serving. When you own it, you pray when nobody else is praying because you own it and you want to see it succeed. Not just I attend church or I've been in church on the rock a long time or I come every once in a while and I kind of like that wild preacher on Sunday morning. No. You own it and it's my church. So if someone talks about smack about your church, you get defensive because it's your church. Not just like, oh, yeah, you know, I disagree with that too. Is it your church or not? You got to take ownership for us to build the house that God wants us to build. Come on, did you guys get something today? 
I preach myself happy. I don't know about you. Let's pray. Father, we just love you today. Father, we thank you today for this word. Let it get into our hearts. Let it get into our minds. Let it get into our life. And Father, we thank you that you would stir us up right now from the inside out. Father, you'd stir us up for a passion for your house like never before. That, Father, that we would be not just planted in your house, but we would be a builder of your house. And, Father, we thank you for every person that's here today from the front to the back that we're making that decision in our heart, that we are all in, that we're going to take ownership of this place to be all that it can be in your name. And Father, we thank you today that we're going to give, we're going to serve, we're going to pray, we're going to love our church, and not for selfish reasons, but we want it to be a church that people can be restored in, that people can be saved in, that people can be healed and delivered in. We are building this place, not for just for us, but for others, for your lost sons and daughters to come in and to find a home. And Father, we thank you that we'd be excited about that. We would be stirred up today. Father, I pray that the passion that I preach today would be in these people from here on out. That it would be stirred up from the inside out. That their spirit would be alive with the passion for God's house. And Father, we thank you that we're going to be builders of your house. And not because we have to, but because we get to. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be a part of what you're doing. There's no greater joy. There's no greater thing that we can be a part of than to be a part of building your house. And Father, I thank you for it today. Come on, can we lift our hands for a second? Let's just stand up. Come on, if you receive.